Would you like to turn to Psalm 100? Sorry, I should say good morning. Would you like to turn to Psalm 100? How very rude of me. I apologise. So, harvest, harvest thanksgiving, a time of thankfulness for every blessing and provision God has made to us throughout the year. I wonder if I asked you to name some of those things, what you'd say as you look back over the last year and give thanks to God for something. I wonder what you'd say. That wasn't rhetorical. I wonder what you would say if I said, think back over the last year, anything, small or great, anything you'd give thanks for, for God. Pardon? Life. Wonderful. A new job. A new job, absolutely, in these straightened days. That we're able to eat. I, I did a little checking. A study of 2,000 people by none other than the St. Bartholomew's Hospital Medical School in 1995 asked their respondents to, to place in order the five most important things in their lives. And these were the results. First, finances and standard of housing. Second, relationships with family and friends. Third, own health, fourth, health of close others, family or friends, fifth, social life and leisure activities. It was held in Britain. Isn't it fascinating that not one of those 2,000 people said either water or food? Isn't that intriguing? Yet doctors will tell you that you can survive only a matter of four to six weeks without food, and at UK temperatures, a person would survive for a maximum of only nine days without water. So I'm glad, Lawrence, you mentioned food, because actually we can completely miss the basics of life, can't we? As we think of all the other things, and they are, we give thanks to God for everything. Harvest is a time for coming back and saying, let's make sure we're thanking God for Everything. Read Psalm 100 together. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Years ago, we had on our particular Harvest Thanksgiving a person from Tear Fund, the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund, who was our speaker. And he was saying this time last year, so it was some years ago, he was in Ethiopia at their harvest service. And he said their harvest service was full of joy and full of praise and full of thanksgiving and there was not a single thing in their church like we have here. There was no produce. There was no food. Their fields were empty. Scrubland. Their cattle were dead or dying. There's hardly a leaf on the tree. 
They'd gone through yet another year of famine. And afterwards he said to the, one of the elders of the church, excuse me, but in, if, you, if you came to England at this time, you would find churches full of produce that people have brought from their gardens, full of produce that people have brought from the shops. And we would give thanks to God for the wonderful way in which he's given us each day our daily bread. But in your church there's nothing. And I look outside and your gardens, such as they are, have nothing in them. Your fields are barren. Your, your cattle, such as they are, look like skin and bones. How is it, he said, that you can be so full of praise to God? And the elder said something he'll never forget. He said, I'm still here, aren't I? God has provided. Thankfulness is one of those important things. Thanking God will keep us from doubting God. We'll come back to that in a moment. And thanking God will help us to be content. Someone once read a book called The Happiest People on Earth, describing Christians. Well, you could write a sequel to that if you wanted to, called The Most Thankful People on Earth. Because of all people, Christians should be the most thankful. Oh yes, we've got a lot to complain about, haven't we? There's plenty of things that go wrong in our lives. Plenty of mess-ups. And life isn't as it ought to be. We know we live in a dysfunctional world. It isn't as God wants it to be. But nonetheless, nonetheless, we should be the most thankful people. This psalm is in two sections. The first section says, Know that the Lord is God and he created you. That puts things in perspective. And the second section says, Know that the Lord is good and that he's your redeemer, a faithful God. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and hear what Moses had to say. Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you don't know where that is, it's book number 5 in your Bible. Book number 5. If you talk to some people from other parts of the world, it's not called Deuteronomy, it's called the book, the fifth book of Moses. The first, second, third, fourth and fifth book of Moses. That's useful, isn't it? Helpful? It doesn't go on the 6th and 7th and 8th and 9th and 10th. It doesn't go like that. But anyway, the fifth. Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8. And I want to read a little bit here. Because at this point in their history, the Israelites are about to enter into the thing that God has saved them for. He's rescued them from Egypt. But the idea was to get them into the promised land. We're always rescued from something to go into something. They lived a long time in the desert, but that was not the place of their destiny. Their destiny was to go in the promised land. And as they're about to go in, Deuteronomy is a second giving of the law. That's what the word means, second giving of the law. The first group he spoke the law to way back in Exodus, soon after they come out, have all died, apart from Moses, Joshua and Caleb. So this is a completely new generation who don't know the works of the Lord, who don't know, didn't experience God's miracles of the deliverance. They have since then. So Moses thinks it's most appropriate to remind them of the various things. Let's read chapter 8. Be careful, he says to these folk standing all around him. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember 
how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Moses knows he hasn't got long to live. Moses knows that he needs to pass on something worthwhile to the people and one of the things he says to them is you've got to remember. And Harvest Thanksgiving is all about remembering. It's all about making a wonderful display. Isn't this lovely? Wonderful display. And saying these are the kind of things that we have enjoyed and you could add so much more here couldn't you you could put up here you know your new job you could put up here a new car that god has provided for you you could put up here your family you could put up here all sorts of different things you could even put up here your computer i suppose if you really wanted to because for many of them they're essential items aren't they we live in a incredibly wealthy country so what's in a memory What do we tend to remember? Well, I guess we tend to remember our birthdays, don't we? And things like that. Little boy was chastised by his mother for forgetting his aunt's birthday. And she she said, phone her up and apologise. So he phoned up and said, I'm terribly sorry, aunt, that I forgot your birthday. It would serve me right if you forgot mine, which is next Tuesday. (laughs) We tend to remember 
those sort of things, don't you? We, but we also tend to forget things, and we forget the normal run-of-the-mill routine things. So every time I've ever asked people for what they give thanks for, rarely have I had Lawrence's answer, food. Because it's one of those things that we take for granted. Of course we know we need food, we know we need water, and if I were to push you hard enough, you would have come up with it. But it doesn't usually pop out so quickly. Christian festivals are designed to prompt our memory, to stimulate our faith, to remind us of the good things that God has done. That's why we go through them. Easter is to celebrate what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Pentecost is to celebrate the gift of the giving of the Spirit. And Christmas, which will be with us before we know it, is to celebrate the most magnificent gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, says Paul, for your indescribable gift. Harvest is to thank God, to say, let's remember that everything we have has come from God. So on the verge of entry into the promised land, after 40 weary years of going through the desert, they are to stop and hear Moses remind them. Deuteronomy is all about reminding them what God has done, exhorting them to remember. Do not forget. Do not forget. How do you remember things? I find more and more these days I'm forgetting things. It comes with age, I suppose, doesn't it? How do you remember things? Well, these are visual aids to help us remember. Because forgetting leads to ingratitude. And ingratitude leads to doubt. Moses had already had good reason to fear their memory. He had witnessed it close at hand. They had scarcely got out of Egypt, that land of iron-smelting furnaces, that land of slavery, for generations. They had hardly left They were days on the journey of rescue, but already they've forgotten what God has done. And they succumb to terror, despair, and cry out to the Lord. This is what they said. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Oh yeah? Oh yeah? Asked them that question a week before and they were crying out to God for rescue. And in a few short days they have forgotten that God has rescued them from slavery and just because life is a little bit tough where they are now they just want to go back because they think they remember a better place. Forgetting to remember leads to an ingratitude. This forgetfulness leads them to moan against God about even to doubt his goodness towards them. This is what they say a little further on. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. No, he hasn't. He hasn't brought them out to die, has he? He's brought them out to take them into a land flowing with milk and honey. A land of prosperity, a land of abundance. But a few short weeks into that journey, they are already doubting the goodness of God. Oh, woe is me. Why have these disasters come upon me? Oh, God must hate me. My friend, he doesn't. And remembering God's goodness reminds us that God is good. 
Otherwise what happens is we get overwhelmed by self-pity, overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, and begin to doubt the goodness of God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, says the psalmist, and his courts with praise, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. That's why he said, every time you come here, let your heart be full of thanksgiving. Isn't that wonderful what Jim read? The day begins and it's a wonderful day. Before the person knows whether it's raining, snow, hail, sunshine, whether things are going to work out or not, they've already decided it's a good day because God is with them. There's plenty to give thanks for. And they grumble against God because there's a lack of water in chapter 17. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? They begin to doubt that God will care for them, look after them. But he's the one who's taken them out. He's the one who's promised to bring them through. So thankfulness is not merely a repetition of simple words. It is actually a heart reaction, isn't it? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these simple, straightforward things that remind us that we plant the seed, but you make it grow. And without that, we would have nothing. And when we forget to be thankful about the past, we become to fear the future. Fearing the future is associated with ingratitude for the past. Because if we're truly thankful for what God has done, it gives us confidence to look in the future, doesn't it? But it's the ungrateful person who doesn't give thanks for the past that is fearful about the future. How is this? Well, let's look at the passage of faith, shall we? Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. If you want to follow where I am, Exodus chapter 1 verse 11. So they, the Egyptians, put slave masters over them, the Jews, to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pitholm and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in their fields. In all their hard labour, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. This is what they're hankering back for. Hmm. But see what it is? The first thing that why people come to faith is they realise they are in a pickle, with a capital P. They realise they're in a bigger dilemma. They're in a situation they cannot get out of, and it's dire. These are slaves who are being used ruthlessly without any care for their well-being at all. Their life is bitter. Everything about it is bitter. It's like being on the beach all the time and your sandwiches are always filled with salt, with sand. Everything tastes gritty. Life is bitter. And only that sort of pressure makes people look for a solution. When life is going along swimmingly, why do I need saving? I remember going door-to-door once in the town where we lived and I went up to this very nice house and spoke to the gentleman on the door, a man about my own age, in the middle 30s, as I was then, and I said, I've come to talk to you about Jesus and so forth, and he looked completely sincerely at me without any cynicism or whatever. He said, why would I want to know about him? 
I have a lovely house, I've got a good job, a nice wife and family. Why would I need him? And it was not, he was not being cynical, aggressive, negative. He was genuinely asking me a question. And I thought, well, from your perspective, you wouldn't, would you? We had a bit more conversation. I didn't get very far. We left on amicable terms, and that was the end of it. But from his perspective, why on earth would he need saving? He works at a good job, works hard to provide for his family. He does that. His family are doing well, so he's okay, he would think. But it's often when the pressures come, isn't it? When everything starts unravelling. When you see life for what it is, really. And that's what the Israelites here notice. What is essential before a person will come to Jesus for salvation is that they recognise that their life is hopeless. If they don't have that, they won't bother. And a desire is born to find a solution outside myself. I cannot solve my problem. I've got a big difficulty and I can't solve it myself. Someone else must. So we search for meaning. And we look for solutions. And people will look with uh, Islam. And they will look with Buddha. And they will look with Hinduism. And they will look with all the other isms. And they will look for all kinds of answers. And if they're true seekers, they can explore those things as deeply as they like. And they will come away unsatisfied because there is only one satisfying solution and that's Jesus and by the time they get to chapter 2 verse 23 in Exodus during that long period the king of Egypt died the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God when people really are under pressure, really are in this pickle and they're longing for a solution, eventually they will turn to God. Won't they? And that's where they're going to find the solution. But that means that they reject every other solution. And sometimes that takes a little while. So then there's a readiness to believe that God alone is the answer. There is no other answer. Only in Jesus can salvation be found. There is no other solution. They've looked. If you have a friend who's not a Christian but is spiritually seeking, don't hurry them past this process because if they are genuinely looking for the truth, they will not find the truth anywhere but in Jesus. So don't be too nervous about them studying these other things because if they're genuine about seeking some solution, they'll only find it in Jesus. There is no other way then the gospel is seen to be wonderfully good news to people who are in terribly bad situations. And a person who comes to faith this way knows what the situation used to be when they were without God and shudders, is aware that every other solution is inadequate and understands what life would be like now but for the grace of God and therefore is deeply and sincerely grateful for what God has done. Do you remember the sinful woman who came in when Jesus was at the Pharisee's house and she just knelt by his feet and she poured her ointment because for prostitutes that ointment was basically their wages, their life's work. So she was basically saying, I'm giving up my job. And she pours it all out on his feet and wets them with her tears and dries it with her hair. And Jesus says to the Pharisee, do you see this? Because she understands what God is doing for her. And she's eternally grateful. 
You, on the other hand, are not. Because you don't understand what God has done for you. But she does. And what goes wrong? Why aren't we always full to bursting with thankfulness? Well, time passes, doesn't it? Things move on. Memory fades. Things become blunted. Which is why we have regular festivals to come before God and say, Lord, I've forgotten so much this year to thank you, but now I take time to say thank you so much for all you've done. And when we forget, we ask questions like, is God really as good as he says he is if he allows this situation? So I look at the troubles of life and I say, oh, is God really good? But then I look behind and say, but Charles, God saw you through this. He has provided for you day by day. How can you doubt the goodness of God just because you're facing a particular dilemma? Unbelief has a short and ungrateful memory. So no wonder Moses encourages the Israelites to remember. A key word in this book of Deuteronomy is remember. And the future of the nation would rest on their ability to remember and act upon it. So we are to challenge our memories in all sorts of different ways. Where would I be without God? Today might be a good day to ask you that question. Where would I be today without God? What was it like without God? And what difference does it make without him? Don't take things for granted. It's the modern man who assumes and demands rights and takes everything for granted. But we don't. So cultivate a good memory. How can we and how should we thank God? Well, we do many of those things already, but here's a suggestion on a daily basis. Many Christians stop at mealtimes. Not to make everyone else on the table feel edgy, but because it's a not God-given opportunity to say, before I eat my food, Lord, I'm just going to stop and say, I've had a good morning, thank you for it. Thank you that I sit down at a meal, and it just reminds me to say thank you for your provision. Not only in food, but in every other kind of way. Meals provide a daily opportunity. Weekly gives us a chance to come to church, not just to see how good the preacher is, but actually to come together with God's people to say, thank you, Lord, for last week. Here I am this week. I was looking at things last Sunday and fearing some of them and anxious about others. Lord, I'm through them. And you saw me through. Thank you. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Communion, most all, above all, is that time to give thanks to God. But every day at work, why not give thanks? and annually festivals, conventions and holidays. These sort of things are designed to give thanks to God. Can I read you this a little bit? <clears throat> I'm thankful for the wife who says it's hot dogs tonight because she's at home in B and not out with someone else. I'm thankful for the husband who is on the sofa being a couch potato because he's home with me and not out with the bars. I'm thankful for the teenager who's complaining about doing dishes because it means she's at home with me and not out on the streets. I'm thankful for the taxes I pay because it means I'm employed. I'm thankful for the mess to clean up after a party because it means I've been surrounded by friends. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snugly because it means I have enough to eat. 
I'm thankful for my shadow that watches me work because it means I'm out in the sunshine. I'm thankful for a, <clears throat> a lawn that needs mowing, amen to that, windows that need cleaning and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. I'm thankful for all the complaining I hear about the government because it means I live in a country with freedom of speech. I'm thankful for the parking spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I'm capable of walking and I've been blessed with the means of transportation. I'm thankful for my heating bill because it means I am warm. I'm thankful for my, the lady behind me in church who sings off key. That's not to anyone here. Because it means I can hear. I'm thankful for the pile of laundry and ironing because it means I have clothes to wear. I'm thankful for weariness and aching muscles at the end of the day because it means I've been capable of working hard. I'm thankful for the alarm that goes off in the early hours because it means I'm alive. And I'm thankful even for too many emails because it means I have friends who are thinking of me. It's to do not with the things but with the attitude of heart. Thankfulness helps us be content. So let me read Psalm 100 again as I close. Psalm 100 again on this harvest day. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So don't be miserable about what you don't have today of all days. Give thanks to God for what you do have. And I think you'll find, if you start on that process, that your mind will tumble with all manner of different connections as you think of for what you may be thankful. Let me close with this little one. Whenever I'm disappointed with my lot in life, I stop and think about little Jamie Scott. Jamie was trying out for a part in his school play. His mother told me that he'd set his heart on being in it, though she feared he wouldn't be chosen. On the day the parts were awarded, I went with her to collect him after school. Jamie rushed up to her, eyes shining with pride and excitement. Guess what, Mum? he shouted, and then said those words that remain a lesson to me. I've been chosen to clap and cheer. <laughs> Father, whatever else we do today, we can clap and cheer you for the good things that you've put in our lives. Oh yes, Lord, life for many of us in the ordinary round has plenty of difficulty or even sorrow in it. And some are not with us today for those very reasons. So we're not pretending just because we're thankful that it all is, goes swimmingly well. But what we want, Lord, is that gratefulness of heart that comes from within and is a true appreciation of the very many ways in which you find to pour blessing into our life. Often we compare ourselves with those, as it were, above us, Lord, and complain about our lot, when in fact if we were to compare ourselves with others, we would find out how much we need. But it's not about materials, Lord, and never has been. 
A man's life does not consist in what he owns. So Lord, today of all days, let our hearts be full of praise and thanksgiving to you. As we look at this lovely display of produce and the other ways that we are reminded today of your faithfulness through the seasons, Lord, we want to do so that we may trust you in this coming year and not live in fear of it, but to trust in your unfailing love, to rest in you and to walk with you through the seasons to come. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.